kind of have to adjust and modify based on the feedback and based on what the market says. There's no other way around it. And one of the first things that you learn as an entrepreneur is to be successful, you have to have that ability to listen to others. You're listening to the Redefining Wealth podcast with Patrice Washington. In today's episode, I sit down with brothers and serial entrepreneurs, Vadim and Sergey Revzin. They say that if you're going to be successful in business, whether it's full-time or on the side, you're going to need mentors. Hey there, this is Patrice Washington from patricewashington.com, where we chase purpose, not money. Welcome back to another episode of Redefining Wealth. I am so excited to jump into this week's episode. If you haven't noticed, for the last three weeks, we've been kind of touching on the work pillar. So for those of you who are new to this community, here's what you should know. We believe that wealth is so much more than money and material possessions. We truly believe in the original definition of wealth, which is all about well-being. But we look at that and unpack it week after week in several pillars. There's six pillars that make up redefining wealth. And one of them is work and work is all about living your life's purpose. And if you want to really get clarity around what the pillars are, I suggest you go to the website, patricewashington.com, click on start here, and it'll take you through a little overview of what each pillar means and how you can start working on that in your own life. But for the last couple of weeks, starting with my husband's episode, don't just start a business, build an empire. And then Amanda's episode on packaging your genius last week, which was phenomenal. So many great reviews. And now with Vadim and Sergey, we've really been looking at how to truly live your life's purpose in different ways, right? And so today, I'm really excited to jump into this conversation with Vadim and Sergey. You're really, really going to enjoy it. But before I do, I have to remind you that tonight, if you're listening to this on Thursday, August 29th, 2019, tonight I am doing my first live training in years, my first live virtual training in years, and it's called How to Chase Purpose, but I'm only doing it for my purpose chasers. So for those of you who are committed to the podcast, I am committed to helping you get to the next level. And a lot of what we've been talking about, again, is purpose related. But I realize I say to you so often to my purpose chasers and OG listeners, every week, chase purpose, not money, chase purpose, not money. But I'm starting to realize that many of you don't know how to chase purpose. And so I wanted to create a training to really help you move this to the next level so it stops being just a mantra or just a theory and it really becomes something you're doing in your life. So I'm teaching a webinar tonight. It's not too late to register how to chase purpose, five shifts to help you acknowledge your God-given gifts, align with your passion and powerfully answer the call on your life. Because some of you are chasing money simply because you're stuck You don't understand what it means to really be and walk and live in purpose. And therefore, it's very difficult for you to set the proper priorities, right? So you're going to discover things like this breakdown that I've used to help people discern what stage of actually, quote unquote, living in purpose they might be in, and then how to honor that process and start working with it and not against it because I really believe that many of us work against the natural flow. I want to take you through uh, a step-by-step model 
that has really helped my clients who were frustrated with giving their brilliance away for free because they couldn't really clearly communicate their message uh, or stay true to the mission that they really felt like was on their heart because they felt like they had to go force themselves to make money in different ways that weren't necessarily true. You're going to learn things about why following your passion simply isn't enough. I know that many of you are very spirit-led. I consider myself to be a spirit-led entrepreneur, but it does not stop me from having systems and strategy and structure in place. And so even though you are in purpose, which is great, you still have to set a firm foundation of priorities in order for you to truly become profitable. And so we're going to talk about all of that plus more If you think what I give away on the podcast is good, you have no idea when you actually spend a good hour with me really training, you are going to walk away truly feeling like, okay, I'm ready to walk in purpose and I know what's next. But you have to be a purpose chaser. So come over to IamAPurposeChaser.com, get into that free community that we started for you to find um, and connect with other purpose chasers from all over the world. The link to register will be there and it will only be available to Purpose Chasers. So come over to IamAPurposeChaser.com and let's make this happen because I want you ready for 2020. All right. So without further ado, let me tell you about our guest today. Sergey Revzin is a venture investor at the NYU Innovation Venture Fund, where he leads the university's technology investments. He has mentored hundreds of entrepreneurs all over the country through his work with Venture for America, and he has been an early employee and founder at tech companies in New York City and Boston. Now, Badim is an entrepreneur in residence at Ethos, a national nonprofit where he teaches entrepreneurship at State University of New York. He's also advised hundreds of startups and has been both a founder and leader across several early and growth stage startups. Together, these twin brothers are the co-hosts of the Mentors podcast, where weekly they feature stories from successful founders and creators. The twin brothers are regular contributing authors at Forbes.com, HBR.org, and Goldcast.com. Without further ado, here are my guests, Vadim and Sergey. Welcome to the podcast, Vadim and Sergey. Hey, thank you for pronouncing our names perfectly. You're already awesome. (laughs) We're super excited to be here, Patrice. Well, I've been listening to the mentors. So, you know, I do know how to say your names. And I love that you guys have such a good time. It's incredible. You make me chuckle. I think because you guys tell corny jokes too. And I've been told by um, people who review the podcast that they like me, even though I'm corny. I don't know if that's a compliment. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I guess it's kind of a compliment, but I think that's why I like you guys too. You're fun. And you make something that is very complex for a lot of people or very intimidating, so much more down to earth because so many people are intimidated just by business and entrepreneurship. And I just love what you guys do with the mentors. And I love that you share so much of your own experience, which I think is key. Oh, we really appreciate that. Yeah, for us, it's it's it is all about having fun, but also in the process, if we can make this entrepreneurship thing, or even just finding yourself and figuring out what you want to do in life a little bit more accessible, then it's a win for us. Yeah, I'll actually I'll I'll add something just because I always hate it when people say, "Oh, just have fun with it," and I'm like, that doesn't help me. Uh, <laughs> but I, I I think there's fun with a little bit of a caveat. We can have fun because we're brothers. We know each other. We've 
you know, we've been communicating together since the womb. <laughs> we were we were roommates. Yes, yes, we were roommates. That, that's a, a corny joke we like to say. Um, but it works because we're not just having fun. We're actually telling stories. And I think that mm-hmm. we learned from even professors we had in uh, in college or mentors that we've had through businesses that we've started. The people that we love to talk to and share with are the ones that can kind of be a little bit lighthearted, but then they tell us real stories um, from their real experience, which is why we're always so open with ours, because we know that's what people care about. Well, I think that brings up a good point and why I invited you guys on the show is because so many people love to tell the, the glorious stories, but they don't like to talk about the stories that include their failures. And I think that one of the reasons that I attract the audience that I have is because I've been very transparent about sharing the not so good stuff. And a lot of folks want to talk to you about mountaintop to mountaintop experiences as if they haven't experienced any valleys. And that's what I love that you pull out of the folks that do come on. It is it is fun. You guys are upbeat, but you also get people to talk about the hiccups and the mistakes along the way. And I heard a podcast episode of yours called Capitalize on Failures. Mm -hmm. And I love that you guys told your story. And I actually, before we even jump into that, one of the things that really sticks out to me is the fact that you guys educate entrepreneurs but you also still have day jobs, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's and one of the things that we talk about a lot um, in our podcast is being an entrepreneur, even though we believe that it's a very valid career path, it doesn't mean that you're always going to be taking entrepreneurial risk 100% of the time. Sometimes you stay, you take a step back, you take a full-time job, or you take a job that can help you develop certain skills for your next entrepreneurial venture. And that's something that we've done on and off for the last, uh, since we graduated. Yeah, I think even the definition of what it means to have a day job is changing because almost everybody I know in my network, young or old for that matter, might have, let's say, a full-time job or their primary focus, or which really just means what they're spending more of their time on. But then they have other things that supplement that as well. It could be a side project. It could be even a new creative pursuit that they're trying to capitalize on. Uh, but there's always something else typically going on as well. And I think that's exciting. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think it's also human nature because we constantly want to evolve, get better and pursue new things because I think that's what makes life worth living. Well, I love that you guys are so open about it because there are so many folks who speak to entrepreneurship, but then they don't tell the truth. <laughs> like they don't tell the truth that they do have a day job. And I don't see anything wrong with that. People reach out to me for coaching all the time, right? And they are so torn between like, this whole, my day job is in my way. And if I didn't have a job and I'm like, but your job is funding your ability to go test out and try new things. Why are you in such a hurry to just ditch the job for something that you haven't even built yet? Like this idea that as soon as you stop working and you build it, they will come is nonsense, (laughs) you know? And I wish more people would just tell the freaking truth that there is nothing wrong with it. And I really feel like, I I mean, I am notorious. My mom and I have this conversation like at least once a month where I'm like, mom, why can't I just go get a day job? Like what, why do I keep doing this to myself? Right. Because entrepreneurship brings up so much. And I just don't think it's, it's cut out for everyone. Everyone can't be their own boss because then who will work with us? Who will work for us? Like it's not, it's not sustainable for everyone to be a full time 100% entrepreneur. And I just love that you guys are so open about that. 
in itself. I just thank you for that level of transparency. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, look, people get really down on themselves for a lot of reasons. It's human nature, right? But um, the beauty of entrepreneurship, and we, by the way, truly believe that we're all born entrepreneurial at the very least to some degree, Uh but it can manifest itself in many different ways. And it doesn't by any means mean that oh, this means that you're going to be at it alone and you're going to have no help from somebody and it's despair and always hard. It is for sure hard, but there's different types of entrepreneurs. There's different types of founders. Maybe you're not going to be the CEO. You can be a co-founder and still be an entrepreneur and be entrepreneurial as well. So there's many different ways to define it and also to allow your entrepreneurial gene, I guess, to shine. I think if there's anybody out there that is doubting whether they're a true entrepreneur, if they have a full-time job or some other outside income beyond their sort of entrepreneurial pursuit or dream that they have, they maybe aren't really reading enough or they're not reading enough stories because there are plenty of stories of successful founders. I think it's a bit of a fallacy to to say, okay, the only people that are successful are the ones that take the biggest risk. That's just not true. Mm-hmm. You can read the book, The Original or Originals by Adam Grant. Uh, that talks about a lot of stories, the founders of Google, how they were holding on to their PhD program for a long time before they actually went full time. If you read Phil Knight's book about how he built Nike, I think he spent something like 10, 15 years working first as an accountant and then as a professor while building Nike uh, on the side, importing sneakers from Japan until he basically went in full time after he figured out how to scale it. So I, by, by no means do entrepreneurs have to be full-time in their business all the time. It takes time to figure out something that works. It does. And I think that that's the best time to test things. That's the best time to do a few beta launches and mm-hmm. to just make sure that what you have dreamed up in your mind, there's actually a market for it or there's actually a need to really pursue it. But to think about just quitting your job and jumping all in, it doesn't make you any more of an entrepreneur or any less. So I love that you guys talk about it. So in Capitalize on Failures, though, you you shared some of your experiences. So I would love to talk about your first experience with entrepreneurship, which I believe was Ad Lobby. Yeah. Yeah. Where you sold your car. You guys were deep. (laughs) So so this is when you were still into like being deep and going all in. So take us back to what that was and what were the lessons that you learned? Well, I'll, I'll start off by saying that we were 19, 20 years old and we didn't know anything about building a business. So it was very easy to, to say we're going to go deep because you know that's, <laughs> those, those were the success stories that you read about on TechCrunch. And so you base your entire uh, decision making on that <laughs> at that you know, uh, early stage. But yeah, I mean, we, we essentially always knew we wanted to start a company from a young age of some sort. We didn't know how or when or what. And uh, in the middle of college, we actually had a cousin who was running his own business. He actually quit school to do it full time. So we were seeing these external factors saying like, hey, there could be this path for us and maybe not necessarily just finance, which is what we're doing right now. And we saw this guy in the UK who created a website where he sold pixels, individual pixels of a website to advertisers and he made a million dollars with it. We're like, well, that's cool. And so we started thinking about advertising because of that. And we thought about all the social profiles that we have online. You don't have to have a website to serve ads. You could have a AOL and some messenger away message, or you know, today it could be something in your Facebook profile or your tweet. And so we decided to build a company around that. We went about it all the wrong way, but um, we knew we needed to find engineering talent. And so we decided we have two cars. We only really ever use one of them. Let's sell it. And it wasn't expensive. It was a $6,000 car, but that was enough for us to build a prototype. Yeah. And we... We literally made every mistake 
in the book. And obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. So looking back and uh, being a little bit wiser in the future businesses that we built through that experience, um, you know, we realized that almost everything we did was wrong. So first thing that we did wrong is, um, well, actually, this part we did right. We we found somebody on campus that had access to engineers. And we got him bought in on the idea, and then he introduced us to those engineers. But the next thing we did was completely wrong. He actually wanted to become a partner in the business. And at the time, we, you know, we thought equity is really important. We want to have full ownership. Let's just have him introduce us to these, these um, engineers, and we'll work with them directly. Of course, since then, we learned that 100% of zero is zero and that it's okay to give away equity if it increases the chances of your success significantly, especially if you find somebody that can complement a skill or can make certain introductions for you, so on and so forth. Uh, But yeah, we said no to that partnership, that direct partnership where this person who had the direct contacts with engineers could have helped us manage the product development a little bit better, could have probably helped us do some of the sales as well. And we uh, said no to that. And then we mismanaged the whole engineering process as well. We, we Wait, sent can, them some- can we stay right there? Can yeah. we just stay right there, though? Because I really want people to pick up on that. Because we just talked about the fact that you don't have to be 100% of an entrepreneur, right? Like you could mm-hmm. be a co-founder. You could have a partnership. And I think that so many of us miss out on these amazing opportunities to grow great businesses, to scale, because we won't take on partnerships. And that mentality of, it's all me or nothing, I think is what holds a lot of people back. Like I need a hundred percent of what could potentially be nothing (laughs) or even a hundred percent of, let's say a hundred thousand in gross sales this year. But if you had the right partnership, it could be a million dollar business. I would take 40% of a million dollars rather than a hundred percent of a hundred thousand. And I just don't think that enough people consider that, right? Just consider that. Like I'm looking at an opportunity right now where I have the, you know, I could keep being 100% of myself or I could go into this partnership that could explode my business 10x. Mm-hmm. So what is the greater thing? And I don't know, to me, some of it has to do with maybe being naive. But then on the other side, I think a lot of it has to do with ego. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Yeah, you know, it's ego and ego, I think, is is true. And we all have a certain piece of it. But I I, I think there's another reason, too. When you're starting something and or when you're trying to build something of your own, you're you are inherently optimistic about the outcomes of it. And so you mm-hmm. think it's gonna work. And when you think something's you know gonna, it's work, gonna work, yeah, you know it's <laughs> gonna work. I mean, you kind of yeah, you have to have that sort of level of confidence in order to even pursue something that risky. And so if you think it's gonna work, you wanna keep it close and own it. And you probably care about it more than anybody else. But the fact of the matter is that the most successful entrepreneurs are the ones that are very honest with themselves about what they're good at and what they're not good at. And they want to bring on the type of people that can complement them in that way, in whatever ways they actually need to be able to grow that business or that concept. But I think that that level of maturity takes sometimes a little bit of time to, to realize and understand about yourself. That's not natural for most people. Yeah. That's and we... We have the the benefit of working with having worked with now hundreds of entrepreneurs in either advising them or helping them through difficult early moments because that's what we're interested in since we've done it ourselves many times. And time and time again, the ones that end up doing better uh, and having not an easy time, but at least a little bit of an easier time in getting to their goals or experiencing growth uh, are the ones that are 
good at recruiting talent, good at recruiting partners, and okay with giving up ownership. It happens time and time again. It's, it's, it's a crucial part. Don't you find that those people are also the ones who will listen to their market? I, I heard that you did uh, this five-minute pick-me-up, and it was about listening to the market. And I also heard the episode about where you were really getting people to get their ideas validated by potential customers. Like that, which I thought was crazy. I was like, <laughs> I loved it. But you essentially had people that were out on the street, like asking folks, what do you think of this idea? Yeah, exactly. And the reason why we instill that and why it's a good practice for any entrepreneur that's starting out is because, again, you know, this was part of the first mistake that we made in that first business that we built. We basically let those engineers work on the product for like six months and we didn't have a lot of insight into it. And by the time the first version was released and we were testing it, we realized, oh, we haven't talk to any potential customers. And the only users that we've recruited are our friends, which is a great place to start. Don't get me wrong. But we hadn't done enough of the work to even validate if this was an interesting opportunity uh, because we were building a marketplace. And then, of course, since then, seeing other entrepreneurs that work on their product, let's say for a year, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on building a solution. And then when we talk to them telling us that they have zero customers, that's a clear problem. You can go way earlier to your customers before you even have anything and start having those conversations. Because even though you might have some insight, you might have that great idea, almost always it'll change throughout the process. And I'm sure, Patrice, you've experienced mm-hmm. this as well through your entrepreneurial journey. Uh, you kind of have to adjust and modify based on the feedback and based on what the market says. There's no other way around it. And one of the first things that you learn as an entrepreneur is to be successful, you have to have that ability to listen to others. Oh, yeah. I have definitely taken that on. I have a program right now called Purpose to Platform. And I share in there that at one point, my messaging was very strong about like saving for your kids, you know, college days and all about just saving for kids and talking about family. I just kept that going because I was thinking of myself and my immediate friends, right? Not realizing that that wasn't necessarily the audience. So one year we did a survey of the audience and I found out that like 70% of the women had no children. Mm. And it was like, here I am. Don't you want to save for your kids to go to college? (laughs) And you have 70% of the women, you know, going like, nope, not not really interested, (laughs) right? And I had no idea. And sometimes we get so caught up in the idea that we're not willing if you're not willing to shift, you're going to lose people, right? Like even if they like you and they want to like you and they want to trust you or they want to kind of buy in, if you're not willing to listen to what they actually need or or figure out what the internal problem is that they're actually having that you might be able to solve over and above whatever the external issue is, you're going to lose eventually. And I didn't realize that's why my open rates were going down and you know videos weren't performing as much because I was just like not in the right space. And once I did that survey, which is a great way um, to learn what your audience wants as well, or you can go on the street like Sergey. <laughs> but that, you know, but that was a great, that was a great wake up call. And so it helped me shift quite a bit um, amongst other things, but you can't be afraid to just ask the audience too, if you are already, you know, in whatever this project or idea is, you might as well just ask them because that's who you're depending on to support you. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that for you, that's obviously a huge advantage. You already have an audience and and all you really have to do is is reach out to them and be attentive to to their needs. But for those people listening that don't really have an audience yet, maybe don't have the luxury of getting a bunch of survey responses that they can then use to make decisions off of, you're actually also in a great place. You are starting from scratch, which means you can take your business in any direction that you want. And that's why we actually encourage people to do in-person conversations because you might as well learn as much as you can about your customer because you're going to be serving that customer for the next five to 10 years of your life. You better like serving those people, right? So go talk to those people, validate what their problems are before you even offer a solution so they can be really honest with you about the fact that the problem you think they have is real. And then once you have that, then you can offer a solution. And the only thing that really tells you the truth is whether they pay or not, right? But uh, it, it does take that desire to intimately want to understand and serve the people that you're targeting. You're, you're guaranteed to learn something throughout the process. And as you just said, you can't be afraid to ask your audience. And I'll actually adjust that a little bit. You can be afraid. It's actually okay to be afraid. And a lot of things within entrepreneurship or taking a chance on yourself uh, in, in this journey is kind of scary. And that's okay. Understand that everybody that's now a successful entrepreneur has experienced fears. I was actually just listening to uh, the Dax Shepard show and he had Will Forte on his show. And he was talking about how when he was auditioning for SNL, it was an incredibly terrifying experience end to end. He hated it. He really didn't want to do it. But sometimes in order to get to the next step of where you want to go, you have to be willing to do the things that are uncomfortable. So if you feel uncomfortable with, let's say, trying to validate an idea by approaching people in person cold or sending a cold email or making a cold call, realize that it's okay to be afraid. Realize that other people are also afraid, but then try to adjust your thinking in a more positive light to understand that it's going to get you one step closer. You're going to have a much better understanding of what you need to do uh, and that it's uh, it's okay to to mess up a little bit because the more you do it, you'll get better and better. Yeah, that's good. And thank you for correcting me with that one. You're absolutely right. Because we talk about that all the time. And I always share that I'm always scared. <laughs> like I'm always the person who gets on stage with like pits sweating and, um, and knees knocking. So it's never not afraid. But to your point, um, you, you do it anyway. You know, you push through and do it anyway, because you believe in what's on the other side of getting through this fear. We've seen you in action too. We know that once you put that smile on and it's very infectious, uh, the audience reacts and you react back and I'm sure your fear melts away. So you have your own techniques. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yes. So the other thing I was thinking as you were speaking though was I remember back in the day when I used to do um, focus groups for like Mm -hmm. tennis shoe companies when I I was a high school basketball player. They would bring us in and give us like 75 bucks and and lunch. (laughs) That was like the best come up ever for a 15 year old. And um, we used to do focus groups and they would just have you come in and just, you know, try on shoes or look at commercials and give your honest feedback. And I think even something like that could be valuable, just depending on where you are getting friends and family in that way. If you're going to use friends and family, maybe it's even to help you gather folks who meet whatever that demographic is. And you'd be surprised what people will come and do for a little lunch. I know some people that... Oh, I would still take that deal right now. But but you're absolutely (laughs) right. There's there's a bunch of different ways to do this, right? Focus groups, surveys, in-person conversation, phone conversations. Actually, uh, and and it's a never-ending process too. Uh, It reminds me of a story of uh, the founder of Kayak.com. 
Paul English is his name. And uh, even after the company was already successful in generating millions of dollars in revenue, he actually had this uh, thing where he always wanted to talk to customers. And so I, I might be paraphrasing the story a little bit incorrectly, but he had a red phone uh, in the middle of the floor. Uh, it was like an open office floor. And uh, it would just ring randomly with a customer call every day. Uh, it had at least a handful of customer calls go just to that phone. And whoever was closest to that phone would have to pick it up and deal with the customer. Wow. Uh, well, he would do that all the time as well. His desk was not too far from there. And he's the CEO of the company. And part of the reason why he did that is because he wanted to be constantly, intimately familiar with the problems of the customer mm -hmm. to make sure that the company is going in the right direction. And that's, this is a process for any entrepreneur or creator that never stops. It's incredibly important in the beginning, but also as you're growing and becoming more and more successful and realizing whatever goals you wanted to, to get to, you still have to go through this process because uh, you, you can always learn. And as a matter of fact, the most innovative companies are the ones that are okay with stopping, looking at feedback, and then readjusting their position and moving forward again. Wow. That's an incredible story. I'll have to look that up. I think that's dope. How much time do you think people waste on doing all the pretty stuff when it comes to starting their business? They got to get the brand colors right and the fonts have to be right and the beautiful website. How much time do you feel like people put into that versus what they should be doing? And what do you think you should be doing, you know, in those beginning phases beyond talking to customers? What else should you be doing? Yeah, now you, you hit the nail on the head there. People always default to whatever they're most comfortable with and what they're good at. It's just natural. So if you're an engineer, you're going to default to building product. If you are a designer, you're going to default to logos and website. You know, So that's just human nature to default to those things because they feel comfortable and because you get those small wins that tell you I'm being productive. But you know, that just takes, again, it takes practice of being honest with yourself to say, month over month or week over week, is this actually bringing my company forward? It's okay to spend some time on the things that give you those small wins, but then you have to look for wins elsewhere. And you have to understand that the wins that are important are the things that are bringing you closer to either revenue or funding or something that's going to make this a self-sustaining venture. So initially, it's talking to customers and validating the idea. But after that, a lot of the work has to be in sales and marketing. And I don't mean branding when I talk about marketing. I mean, how are you going to figure out the channels that are actually going to help you acquire customers so that within the next three months, six months, you can actually pay your bills with this venture, this idea that you have. And if at least once a week, you're not doing something that brings you closer to revenue or creating something interesting that where you can raise funding around it, you're not going to be able to do it full time and you're not going to be able to be self-sustaining with this venture anytime soon. So, you know, there, there are a lot of different micro activities that go into sales and marketing. There's cold email writing and uh, sending cold emails. There's cold calling. There's uh, drafting copy for a website. There's building relationships with bloggers, with press, et cetera. There's a lot of smaller activities that, you know, you have to learn how to be good at as an entrepreneur. But it actually, for me, all of those micro activities really come, come down to outreach and being comfortable with outreach and asking people for help and asking people for feedback. And I think at least once, if not several times a week, you should be doing that. Yeah, if you if you see yourself gra gravitating towards doing the stuff that makes you feel good, uh, stop and try to spend at least fifteen to thirty minutes working on what's uncomfortable. Uh, a few things will happen there. First of all, you you will realize throughout that process that whatever was making you uncomfortable 
actually isn't that bad. Uh, and also you'll realize that it doesn't actually take as long or is as hard as you worked it out to be. So if, if even throughout the week, there's a few moments where you can kind of uh, readjust the activities that you're working on and focus on spending time first on the things that you actually don't want to do, then you'll find yourself uh, doing the things that you should be doing and getting more and more traction as quickly as possible. I completely agree. <laughs> I I completely agree. I used to be notorious for doing, I think we all are to your point, like I used to be notorious for just doing what I liked and not necessarily focusing on what needed to be done. And one of the things that I prioritize in the day is anything I say that's going to get me closer to the money. It just is what it is. Like putting off things that get to the money don't make sense to me anymore because that's the only way I get to keep showing up and I continue to serve and I can keep having the impact that I want. Doing what makes me comfortable doesn't allow me to keep this podcast going. Yeah. What what I'm curious actually, because we haven't talked about this, but like what, what's one thing that uh, you do sometimes, let's say in the middle of the week, if you realize I need to get closer to the money, what's something that, that you know will get you there? It's back to the relationship piece. I'm very big. The people pillar is really big here. And you said it so well about just the outreach. And so people see that as like fun time, right? Or like, oh, you're just going to hang out or you're just calling people. But so many of the opportunities that I've received are because of the relationships that I've built. So I prioritize relationships. I prioritize circling back to people, following up on opportunities. If if someone said, oh, I wanted to introduce you to so-and-so, I think they want you to speak. I don't wait for them to remember. (laughs) Like people are busy, right? And if I realize a week has gone by, one of my priorities for that day is to make sure that that person does make the connection for me because that could lead to, you know, the next thing. Or in my business, it's just about, it's the same thing. Working on, for right now, Purpose to Platform is like my signature program. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that I'm really focused on is dialing in on the funnel, like every aspect of what that funnel is. And so you can go as deep and as wide and, you know, broad as you want to, but there's so many pieces. There's probably 60 emails by the time it's all said and done that need to be written. And instead of getting overwhelmed with all 60 this week, I might be like, write the four emails for if someone comes to the webinar, but drops off, you know? Like, and that's that I just have a lot, I have like an exhaustive list of um, things in different areas of the business that I need to do that I would like to do, but I'm realistic too. So I put on the calendar, usually the first part of the morning is getting to those things because I know that once they're implemented, they make forecasting so much easier. Exactly. And look, if you're an entrepreneur and you want to build a business, uh, a business can only survive if it's making money. That's just the nature of things. But I bet there's some folks that are listening. There might be someone that's listening out there that's probably thinking, ah, why does everything have to be about the money? You know, I just want to be an artist or something, right? Or I just want people to appreciate whatever it is I'm creating and I'm not motivated by money. Well, uh, unfortunately, that's just how society works, right? That's the construct is in order to survive and pay your bills and to have your own place to live, you have to have money. But um, if you want some examples of people that have been able to kind of get past that, you don't have to look too far. Albert Einstein, he was a patent clerk for years. And because of that Monday job that paid his bills, he was able to sit there and work on his theories on the side. If you pick up the book Daily Rituals, there's countless examples 
of artists and painters and um, actors and the like that had to figure out how to fund their uh, what they were passionate about. And even though sometimes it might be a little bit disillusioning or maybe it not, might not be your primary goal, that money, unfortunately, it's something that you have to have at least part of your time focused on in order to work on what it is that you love. So there's ways to uh, learn from other people's stories on how they were able to do it. Because again, most successful people, even though it may seem like, oh, you had all these things going in your favor that made you successful, they didn't. They had mm-hmm. obstacles too. Uh, and so it's just a matter of learning from how maybe they were able to do it to see if you can apply it to your own life. Well, yeah, our our whole mantra here is chase purpose, not money, right? Yeah. And so I see it as a responsibility. Like if I don't keep this business going, I don't get an opportunity to make the impact that I feel like I was called to make. And it just is what it is because I need a team. I need people to support me. All of these things come with a cost. And so the only way that I can continue to do that is to make money. And so for you to come here on a Thursday or two Thursdays or three or four Thursdays and be like, where's the podcast? And I go, well, I can't pay my editors and I can't pay the hosting and I can't pay the people who help me write the show notes. You would feel like I was doing you a disservice. And that's so I see it as you know, I'm not driven necessarily by money. I, I know that I'm not, um, but I am by impact. And in order to expand the reach and get the impact back to that um, partnership I was telling you guys about, mm-hmm. yeah, I could make less than obviously 100% of what I make now I would make less of a percentage, but the impact is what excites me. The fact that, you know, I could get this message to even more people exponentially, maybe 10 or 20 or a hundred times more people. That's what matters to me. It's like, wow, because if you live your life with purpose and intention, I still feel like the profit will, can come, not will come, but it can come. But for people who are like, well, I'm just not a money person. Everyone's a money person. Yeah. Because everyone that's not a child has a bill, at least one (laughs) um, to pay and sustain themselves. And I just feel like it's it's my responsibility to be a, a good steward over these gifts, over what I've been given. Like, this is what I'm supposed to do or else I won't be able to have the impact. I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, we, we started this conversation talking about capitalizing on your failures. And, you know, Vadim and I, I think, are fortunate enough to have plenty of those in our in our back pocket. But we we talk about this on our show and with many people that we meet that think that entrepreneurship is risky. We actually think that the idea of entrepreneurship and creating something from nothing is the opposite of risky. In fact, it increases your value by a lot, increases your value in the market, whether it's uh, for a future job or for anything else. And so the way that I would think about it is somebody that wants to be an entrepreneur at some point, but they're not taking the plunge. Instead of thinking about it, you know, I need to figure out the perfect business idea right now, start being a creator and just having output of things that you do. It could be a a podcast. It could be a book you write. It could be um, a song you write. It could be an event series that you put on. But each of those things, you're showing to the outside world that you're able to bring people together. You're able to create something from nothing just from your own imagination. And that is incredibly valuable. We've seen this. That's why we've been able to change careers three or four times. That's why we've been able to get the writing opportunities, speaking opportunities, and really play around in whatever business ideas that we want to is because we're not afraid to say, you know what, this may or may not work, but let's just try creating it, seeing 
what the output is and seeing what the reaction is from the market and adjusting from there. And that's what really has helped us get rid of that fear of failure because we don't, we no longer look at it as, you know, an absolute, we look at it Mm -hmm. as a temporary thing that we learned from. And now we're going to just adjust course. Yeah. And by the way, nobody else cares. (laughs) You know, we, (laughs) we all live in our own brains. Uh, and it's when, and I find this, especially in a big city like New York, you're walking down the street, you just notice so many different personalities and everybody thinks that they're the man or the woman. And everybody thinks that whatever ideas they have are the best. And it's good to remember that actually, it's a great thing because even if you do fall down, even if you do fail, even if you do decide to give up, it's okay because nobody's really paying that much attention. You can always pick back up, readjust course, and try again. It's never going to be fatal. We're not in communist Russia where uh, <laughs> if you if you failed, sometimes you're blacklisted and uh, you don't really have any options, though. We have a lot of options. We're very fortunate. Well, I'm listening to you say that, and I'm thinking of the person who's like, it's not about the person walking down the street. It's about the people in my home that are looking at me and are like, you don't have the luxury of failing. What do you say to that person? Well, you know, I think that you have to, it's a balance. So there's going to be people at home that don't believe in in a creative pursuit or entrepreneurial pursuit as something that's worthwhile because it's too risky and it's, it's not for you, it's for somebody else. And that's going to be okay. And I think if you love your family, you have to fill those certain needs. Sometimes that's why you need to, let's say, have a job or have some sort of side income while you're building something else so that you can pay those bills and have a foundation that your family can rely on. But then you have to surround yourself with other people outside of your family that are okay with taking risks, that are creators themselves so that you don't get bogged down by, let's say, the negativity that you might or, or the roadblocks that artificial roadblocks that some people in your family might be putting up for you. You have to find that outlet from other people sometimes to, just so that you make sure that you stay sharp and actually creating things. Yeah. And also, I would add that remember to actually have the conversation. You know, I think a lot of times, especially with the people that we love, we assume that they know what's going on in our heads. And again, that's simply not the case. Uh, Sometimes you just have to be open and transparent and make them hopefully have that discussion to help them understand what it is that's important to you. And if they love you, eventually, uh, hopefully they'll come around. And also by actually taking the actions uh, towards working it is on what it is you want, Uh, eventually you will have some positive things that come from that and slowly you'll chip away at them and help them realize that what it is that you're working on, not only is it important to you, but it's actually paying dividends. When we had that with our family, like our, our father, he was very entrepreneurial, but he was also a a Russian man that uh, was somewhat conservative at times. And he always supported us. But when we decided we wanted to quit finance to get into startups, he was a little bit scared at first, but eventually he saw how much we were learning. He saw the new opportunities that we got. And he would have these candid discussions where, with us where he'd say, you know what, guys, I believe in you. And it, sound, it looks like you know what you're doing. There's, I just want to add a quick story. There's a gentleman that um, is an entrepreneur that I mentor at NYU. And he is a Korean-American immigrant. Uh, and as many Asian-Americans uh, know, if there's any that listen to the show, your parents put a lot of pressure. If they immigrate to this country, they see this as a safety net. They see all the opportunities for you. They want you to become a doctor, a lawyer, uh, someone in finance, someone that has mm-hmm. a guaranteed six-figure income because that's why they left their countries. They left right. the risk, right? <laughs> they want you to have the safety net. And he was studying pre-med at NYU and um, you know he was starting businesses on the side and his mom kept on telling him, hey, like you don't give up on your dream of being a doctor. I want you to be a doctor. And 
he had to kind of chisel away a little bit at her, but he had to show her that, well, actually, it's not that I just have a bunch of ideas. I'm actually executing. I'm getting revenue. He was able to prove that he's able to get support from NYU. So he just got into our accelerator program where we're giving him $10,000 and he, he, that's a sort of removing a little bit of risk from him. His mm-hmm. cousin quit his job at Google to help him. So he's showing his mom again, hey, look, my cousin who graduated from MIT, he's joining this. So he sees the potential. I'm not the only one. So you know, you do have to de-risk it a little bit for your family, just like you would for investors, right? Um, mm-hmm. But it, it does take, like Vadim said, showing that you have the ability to take action and get results ultimately. Yeah. My husband always says that uh, to like friends of ours where there's couples and they're like, oh, you guys just support each other. My husband's like, well, I can support her because she does the work and she creates the wins. Mm-hmm. Like she, yep. you know, so I can get behind a win. I can't get behind a whole bunch of talking. Yep. Absolutely. Right. And like and, and whining about like, oh, my job is stopping my dreams. You know, I wrote my first book work, actually my first book and a half while I was working full time, you wow. know, and and started speaking and started doing all of this stuff while I had a full time job. And so, you know, when I said I need to quit, he's like, I'm with it because <laughs> like, <laughs> if you're doing this with having to work 50 hours a week, then I know, you know, you can really create something. And so. I agree with you. You can de-risk it by creating a win. Just show them, show them through action. I love it. Well, you guys, before I let you go, what we do here at the end of every episode is ask redefining wealth, rapid wisdom questions. So I'm going to ask you a few things and just tell us the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Great. All right. And you can go in whatever order you want, but you both get to answer. So (laughs) how do you define success? Well, to me, and I guess this is somewhat of a loaded answer because this word has a lot of definitions too, but it's personal personal happiness and satisfaction. Do you feel like you're having the impact that you want in the world, but also the balance that you want in the world, whether it's with your family, loved ones, friends, et cetera, whatever it is. Some people, they love to work and they want to be doing things that uh, feed that workaholism. And that's fine. They should do that. But for others, they want more of a balance. So if you have that balance in your life where you can feel content and happy, then to me, that's success. And for me, it's having more interesting experiences. Uh, and actually, I found that, for example, I was writing an article recently, or I had to write an article. And I was so stressed out because I didn't have the time. I had a bunch of other priorities. But I was able to get that cup of coffee. I sat in my sunny room and I turned off all the notifications of my phone. And actually, once I got into the flow of it, it was actually a cool experience because writing, for example, is unlike any other experience, just like public speaking is unlike any other experience. So for me, I feel more fulfilled if I'm continually experiencing new things. And to me, that's success. I love it. And it just saw him clown the order. Was the first person Sergey? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. How do you define wealth in three words or less? Fulfillment. I'm going to go back to contentment. I, I, I think people think, I mean, that's one word, so I, I, I should get an A plus in this activity. But, <laughs> uh, I think people uh, take that word as a, as a negative sometimes. And, oh, if you're content, then you're lazy or something. Uh, to me, that's absolutely false. I think it's really hard to reach that. And I think it's impossible to always be content throughout your entire life. But the moments where you can reach that, to me, are, are bliss and that's, and that's wealth. I think it's difficult to have that without some financial security, which is the direct sort of traditional definition, I guess, of wealth and money. So you need to create some stability for yourself. But beyond that, if you can have that contentment, that's huge. Yeah, I'm going to copy Sergey on this one because fulfillment is more... <laughs> 
uh, of something to strive towards, I guess. Uh, and mm-hmm. contentment is is a good one as well. So this is a benefit of being twins and being both on the show is I get to take a pass and <laughs> copy Sergey on this quiz. <laughs> That's good. What's one book that has redefined how you see wealth? How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I recommend that literally every single day and to every single student that I talk to because it goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the show, which is building relationships. It is the most important thing you can do. And so getting better at that and learning from how other people are able to uh, get better at that uh, is is the best way to, to move forward, I think. So that was Vadim. For me, though... Um... Losing My Virginity by Richard Branson. It is a super, it, the book reads like a James Bond thriller, but the, the, the biggest thing that I learned from, from Richard is that you can have fun with the business. I mean, this is a guy that uh, was ADD. He was dyslexic, you name it. He didn't even graduate high school, yet he was able to be successful because he knew how to take ideas and bring them to action, but he also followed his gut and he followed his intuition and just tried new businesses all the time. And that's why he owned, he's a billionaire that has probably hundreds, if not thousands of businesses under his name now. So there's more than one way to build something. And he created a life that was super exciting for him. And I think there's a lot to learn from that book. Love it. We'll link to those in the show notes. Okay. And for the last one, you're going to say your names. My name is blank. And for me, the truth about wealth is my name is Sergey Revzin, and for me, the truth about wealth is if you chase it head on, it's elusive. Um, and I know that that's sometimes a bit counterintuitive, but there are countless examples of people that are just obsessed about money. And if that's all they care about and they head on all they want is money, then then wealth just tends to evade them. But if you focus on value creation, we hear that a lot now. You have to figure out what is the value that you can place in this world and have in this world. Then more often than not, wealth will come, uh, whether it's in that contentment that we're talking about uh, or big financial gains. My name is Vadim Revson. And for me, the truth about wealth is that the most rewarding moments are when you see that you had an impact on somebody else, even if it's just one individual. Uh, It's incredibly intoxicating. I mean, literally sometimes I'm not afraid to admit it, that if I, let's say, have a conversation with an entrepreneur or I help them strategize on a new uh, partnership that they're thinking about and helping them think through how to structure it and how to move forward on it, sometimes I walk away from the meeting if I feel like it went well with almost with tears in my eyes. <laughs> um, and that is one of the beauties of entrepreneurship is, yeah, of course it's hard. Yeah. Sometimes it's a grind, but every once in a while, uh, and if you're lucky, it can happen on a weekly basis. And that's why people say it's a roller coaster. Every once in a while, you feel such a rush of endorphins. It's unlike anything else where you are literally feel like you have tears in your eyes. And so the truth about um, that for me, uh, well, for me, is actually seeing the impact of the work that you did, just like you said uh, earlier in the show, Patrice. And a lot of times that can be on a one-on-one level with somebody, not just an impact to a bunch of people at once. I agree so much. I agree. Everything that I've done over the last 10 years, every time I try something new, you guys, I go, if I can help one person, and I mean that, that an audience of one is still an audience. That's so true. if you can, yeah, create that impact, that I, I feel you on the, it makes you tear up. Sometimes yeah. I just sit at my desk after I get off a coaching call or something. And I just, I just sit with such a sense of gratitude and mm-hmm. peace and like, man, I can't believe this is what I get to do. 
And this person is going off to create some amazing stuff because of this one phone call. And that's powerful. So I get it. Thank you guys so much. You are so good. Thank you so much for just pouring into this audience. We will make sure that everyone knows how to get in touch with you. And I just appreciate you. Thank you so much, Patrice, as well. We really appreciate what you do. And the way that we met is we saw you on stage and Sergey and I think that we're pretty good at judging people uh, and, uh, and right away, I mean, within 30 seconds, I knew, wow, uh, this woman is making a change and a lot more people hopefully need to know about her because it's by listening to some other people and by surrounding ourselves with other people that care is how we move forward. And you're just one of those unique people, I think, that uh, actually does care. And we need more people like that in the world. And we need more of those people's voices heard. So we really appreciate what you're doing as well. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. And thank you, Patrice's audience, for taking a listen today. All right. All right. Did you learn a lot? I hope you really like let all of that sink in. I just love these guys. I love their spirit. I love their energy. And if you take nothing else away, let me remind you. I don't care if you're in purpose or not. Pretty doesn't mean profitable. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad that we got to get into that discussion because I see so many people who say, I want to, you know, work in my purpose. I want to do my thing. And then they get so hung up on a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter. A pretty website, no substance, right? Banging Instagram page, no real business behind it. And that is what I really teach in what I do with my program, Purpose to Platform. But I'm going to share some of those tips with you, some of those shifts you have to make on the webinar tonight, how to chase purpose. I want you to do this properly. I want you to do this strategically. Everything does not have to be so haphazard. You can have structure. It is okay to follow a system. It is okay to color by numbers. It is okay to know step-by-step what is needed to actually create a platform so that for those of you who do decide you want to leave your nine to five at some point, you're actually ready. And for those of you who are already doing your own thing and you're not really finding the success that you want, right? You are trying everything that you can, throwing everything you can up against the wall and hoping something sticks, but there's no structure. There's no strategy behind it. It doesn't have to be that way. So join me for the webinar, How to Chase Purpose. It's tonight, Thursday, August 29th. If you still come on board and register, even a day or two later, I think we can figure out how to get you the replay. But take advantage of it, guys. Like, take this and run with it. I'm going to give you everything that I can. These five shifts will change your life. They changed my life for the better. And uh, they continue to do so for many of my clients. So join us, okay? Go to IamAPurposeChaser.com. Get in the free community. You'll see the links in our general channel, as well as a few of the other channels like Work Pillar and Money Pillar. Come on over, get on the call, be in the mix, and let's start chasing purpose the right way. All right. Until next time, you guys, I want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment, and earn more without ever chasing money. Talk to you later. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, 
We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.